Hello and welcome. We are glad you can join us on this episode of Positively Pro-Life podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramu Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation, and joining me is my co-host, Maria Gallagher, our Legislative Director. Welcome, Maria, to the show. Thank you so much, Remel. It's great to be with you today. It is It is a pretty good day today. Yes. Uh, it is a scientific fact that life begins at conception, and a unique living human being separate from the parents is formed at fertilization. With the advancement of science, however, this process of fertilization has been carried out outside the womb, creating a unique situation of frozen embryos that are often left to be destroyed. The life-giving alternative to destruction is embryo adoption. In today's episode, we are going to be interviewing Angela Hoggle, a parent through embryo adoption, where we will be discussing the processes and the challenges involved in making this choice. But first, as always, keeping us updated on all things legislative is Maria Gallagher. Thank you so much, Remel. The pro-life movement in Pennsylvania and throughout the country has been quite clear. Abortion harms women. That being the case, National Right to Life and the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation have been vocal about ensuring that women who have undergone the tragedy and trauma of abortion receive the comprehensive counseling and support they deserve. We oppose measures which would criminalize or punish women who are victims of the abortion industry. But pro-abortion lawmakers in Pennsylvania are pushing a false narrative, claiming that advocates for life want to prosecute women who have been victimized by abortionists. Unfortunately, a mainstream media demonstrating an incredible lack of curiosity are perpetuating the myth in their reports. The one bright spot in all of this is that the PA Senate is led by courageously pro-life lawmakers who are not about to pass legislation pushed by the abortion industry and its allies in the state legislature. The PA House of Representatives is currently evenly divided with 101 Democrats and 101 Republicans. A special election to replace pro-abortion Democrat Sarah Inamorado, who resigned to seek another office, is expected in September. Remmel. Thanks, Maria. That is so timely and so important for us to know that this is not this is not something that we can. I'm sorry. I just I just got <laughs> caught up with something. Um, yes, that that this is such a timely report because we hear so many people talking about pro-lifers not being for the women, in, especially in this particular scenario. But uh, to know that we do not want to prosecute women, we care for the women who are seeking abortions, and we care for them and their children. So. Thank you for sharing that, and especially the state of our legislation today in the state of Pennsylvania. Angela Hoggle is the mother of an eight-year-old boy through embryo adoption and has shared her story in the book, Cracking Through My Eggshells. She describes the pain of infertility due to Turner syndrome and the incredible journey she made from conception to childbearing. She's joining us from her home in Ohio so welcome, Angela, and thank you for being with us today. 
Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, this is such a new idea and concept for me. So I just want to start off by asking you, when did you first hear about embryo adoption? And what led you to choose this path for starting a family? Well, um, we first heard about it through um, Focus on the Family. Um, they're in Colorado. And we had tried um, IVF ourselves first a couple years after we were married and had actually gone through um, adoptions that did not go through. They um, decided not to go through and keep the child. But in our search, um, we looked at snowflake adoption. And after these many years of struggle, hard times, um, through these adoptions, we looked back at Snowflake Adoption, and I called them, and they actually referred us to a place in Akron, Ohio. And when I called that place in Akron, Ohio, they referred us to a clinic down in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so that is how that all we got familiar with embryo adoption, was through Focus on the Family. Now, do you have any idea how popular embryo adoption is today? It has actually grown quite a bit within the past few years. Um, like within like 2011, they were doing like 82 transfers. And now they are doing like one, oh, let's see, 180. So they have really expanded. It has really gone out to be something that is more known to people as an option for them. So, and I know the clinic that we went to down in Knoxville, they have had, they hired another doctor so that they would be able to do transfers every month instead of every other month which when we were, we did our transfer, they were only doing them every other month, but because of the popularity of it, everything they felt they needed to have another doctor there. So it has definitely grown. I was uh, just saying, can you tell us a little bit more about your story um, about facing infertility? And then tr you, you mentioned adoption, you tried adoption and, and then finally it was, uh, finally you turned to embryo adoption. Can you, can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. Um, like you had mentioned, I have Turner syndrome, which is something that happens with girls with chromosomes. And with part of that comes um, the inability to have children. The ovaries are not developed, so they do not produce the eggs needed. So we knew from the beginning we would have to do adoption or something to be able to have a family. So two years into our marriage, we tried IVF with a donor egg and that did not work. Um, then we just kind of held off and we had another girl 
that said she wanted us to adopt her baby, but then changed her mind within just a few weeks. Um, but then I guess the biggest heartache that we went through was we were married about 14 years and a friend of mine had come to us and said they knew of a girl who was pregnant and she did not want the child. And they had told her about us. And so my husband and I talked about it. And after being married 14 years, we had just kind of thought God has said, no, we, you know, we weren't going to have any children. But then we thought, you know what? God opened this door. So maybe we should go ahead and go through. And so we told our friend that we would meet with her and go from there. So we met at a local McDonald's and she decided that she wanted us to be the parents of the child. She, she was probably maybe three months along at the time when we met her. Um, maybe not quite that far, but close to that. And so she kept me updated on all her doctor's appointments and everything. And, um, the time came for her to deliver and we got up there at the hospital and before we went to the hospital, we had our lawyers that we had been working with draw up a paper and had it notarized that said that the baby was to be in our care when it was born. And the birth mother and the boyfriend at the time signed that paper. And we took it to the hospital. We showed them the paper. And um, the baby came, beautiful baby girl that we named Brooke. And at first, the boyfriend told us that the baby would be staying in their room. And that kind of concerned us right from the beginning. We thought, oh boy, you know, we're going <laughs> to, this isn't going to happen. Um, but then that night, a nurse had talked to them and they decided to let us have the baby overnight in a room that they, they had let us stay in at the hospital. And so the baby was with us. We bonded with her overnight and into the next day a little bit. And then the social workers from the hospital came into our room and said that the paperwork was not legal enough and they could not let us take the baby. And that just started a downward spiral um, that just devastated us. Um, so I talked to the birth mom and said, what are you going to do? And at first she said, well, I may go through an agency. And so I told her, well, just let me know. Maybe we can work together through the agency to still make the adoption work. And she told us to go ahead and leave the hospital. So we left. And um, that, it was the next day, she texted me and said that they were keeping the baby. And that was just devastating to us. Um, we had a nursery already. We had clothes. We had everything ready to bring the baby home. And that really made us question why, why, Lord, why did you even bring us to this, you know? We were getting content and not having a child. You brought this and now you took it away. Um, 
so then we had an, a decision to make at that point. Um, do we get rid of all the baby things? Do we just forget it or what do we do? And that is when we looked further into the snowflake adoption through focus. And then we went on down to Knoxville. So for families who are interested, how do you go about the snowflake adoption process? Okay, basically what you will do is first of all, you will contact the clinic and they have doctors, you know, the physicians there and they will clear you physically for carrying a pregnancy. Make sure you are able physically to do it. Um, you know, if you've had um, severe endometriosis or anything like that, you, they may not clear you for that because it's just too hard to carry. But um, so they first clear you that way. And then you have to go through a home study, just like any other normal adoption. Um, a social worker will come look through your house. She'll have a fire safety thing, um, everything like that through your house. And once you get through the home study, then they give you a list of donors. And this list has all their medical history, has hair, hair color, eye color, any education, anything you can think of. Um, you know a lot about them. And you choose a donor. And you can either choose open adoption where you are in contact with the donors after the birth and everything and you know them. Or you can choose a closed donor, which is anonymous. You do not know them at all. Um, with the experience we had, we decided to go through a closed just because we did, you know, just because we were scared, you know, of, because of what had happened. Um, so we picked closed and we picked a donor. And then after that, you are prepped. Um, they give you, um, you have to take some shots to prepare your body for the pregnancy. And then you go down for a transfer. And then you wait two weeks for a pregnancy test and you go get a pregnancy test. And then they let you know if you're pregnant or not. And then they keep, at least the clinic that we went to in Knoxville, they keep track of you for the first 12 weeks of your pregnancy. Um, they want to know what's going on, how's the baby and everything like that. But then after 12 weeks, they just hand you over to your local physician. Um, but so that's how you go through it and hopefully you get pregnant. So what challenges did you face in this process uh, personally? Just, I think personally, because of what we had gone through, the discouragement of it not working. Um, the first time we tried, it did not work. Um, the babies did not take. Um, and then the second time we tried, it it took and I got pregnant. So I think that that's the basic challenge. And then just being prepared, making sure your body is prepared. I think that's a big thing too and just tell us about your son 
Um, he, oh my goodness, he is quite the social boy. <laughs> he is quite the talker. Um, he'd be out here talking to you right now, but <laughs> um, he, he is eight years old now. Like you said, he will be going into the third grade. Um, he loves sports. He loves soccer. And right now he is in baseball. Um, he's doing that with, they do a coach pitch. And uh, so he's in that right now. Um, he's very active. We live on a farm. And so he loves the farm, anything about it, the animals. He could tell you anything about the tractors or anything you want to know. So, but yeah, he's, he's a real joy. What advice would you give prospective parents considering this part? Um, I would say just make sure, first of all, I would tell them that there is help financially. Um, there are grants that they can apply for if they choose to go this direction. Um, but it is cheaper than your adoption, normal adoption. Um, so look into that if this is where you feel you are led and um, just prepare yourself um, for whatever's gonna happen. Like I said, um, sometimes your body just does not take it. Um, be prepared for that. Um, the travel, um, you'll have to go a couple times to the clinic. Um, for us, it was an eight hour drive. So we had to make an eight hour drive a few times to be able to do this. Um, but, and also, um, and this has a lot to do, what I feel like I wanted to share my story is this has a lot to do with the pro-life, um, not with the clinic that we went to for the embryo adoption, but when we went back when we first did the IVF, they told me because I was smaller, if they had put more than two embryos in and two, more than two took, it would kill me. Oh my. I couldn't carry more than twins. That would be all I could carry. Um, but then they mentioned, well, we could do selective reduction. And I said, absolutely not. That is a child. If I could not carry more than two, then you are not going to put more than two in. You're not going to take a child's life. Um, so, and that is what's good. Uh, um, the clinic that is down in Tennessee, they are pro-life. They are God-fearing people um, and truly believe that these are precious lives that deserve a good home. So... Do you have any idea um, how accessible this is for a um, prospective adoptive parent? In, in other words, are there a number of people who are looking for individuals to adopt their embryos or or is it very yeah. uncommon? No, it, it's very common. You, They would not. I mean, if they want to look up um, local... Um, clinic. Um, and I'm sure it, I know the one in Tennessee, they would not have a problem at all getting in and getting started and finding a donor. They have a lot of 
of um, these couples that have donated their embryos. So, and a lot of these couples that do this, they have had IVF and ha maybe had like six embryos and they have two children and that's all they want. So they have these extra embryos and instead of destroying them, they donate them to these clinics for couples like us. So yeah, there are plenty available. So you mentioned that you knew the, the characteristics and traits of the parents. So I'm just curious, uh, when your little boy was born, did it surprise you to see the features and that he had, oh. or was it, was it uh, predictable or did you, did, did it, it surprise you? It was, it was actually pretty predictable. Um, there was, I, I would say pretty much what I thought he would be. Um, I always wanted a baby with blue eyes and he ended up having blue eyes, um, <laughs> you know, so it's just, uh, you know, but yeah, basically it was what we kind of thought he would be like. Yeah. Definitely. And, and how would you recommend that somebody prepare for the experience of a snowflake adoption? Because there are a number of factors involved. There's the right. adoption process, there's the pregnancy, there's giving right. birth, there's raising the child. So how should somebody prepare? Just make sure you're ready to be parents, first of all, you know, of course, um, and raise this child. But then, you know, one thing that I have, that I think we have seen is how to prepare them because this is a different kind of adoption than what you would normally tell an adopted child, you know, um, how they were adopted. And so definitely prepare yourself for how you're going to tell this child how they came about because they're not gonna be biologically yours. You're gonna carry them, which was different than a, a normal adoption, but they are adopted the same. Um, but I know down at our clinic, there was um, someone who authored a book, Chosen in Love, and it takes them right through how they were chosen and this, you know, how embryo adoption worked and everything which is good to me, which I've read to my son. And uh, he has met the doctor that did the transfer. He knows, you know, that that is what happened. Um, he knows he's adopted. Um, and, but he was chosen special because we loved him. And um, so, you know, that is the basic thing. I would say prepare yourself for embryo adoption is how you are going to tell that child what, you know, how they came because, you know, in when they're 18 or so, they are going to have that option. If they want to meet, they still can meet their biological parent if they so choose, just like anybody else who is adopted. So you, jo you've written a book that talks about your experience, uh, both uh, your experience of um, moving from conception to childbearing, as well as uh, your faith. So can you tell us a little bit about that book and where can our listeners go to read um, or find your book? Sure. Um, yeah, I basically wrote this book to share our experience and to, sh to share with those, especially that are fighting infertility, that that, that option is out there. Um, but also that 
you know, God brings experiences into our lives for a reason. Um, cracking through my actual, there was a reason he grew us so much through the whole experience of losing Brooke and going through this embryo adoption. He just, he changed our lives so much and he has a reason for everything he brings. Um, and that's another reason. Um, but yeah. Um, and also to share again, that there is life. If we are truly pro-life, then we know that that is life right from the start. Then these are precious lives. And to show that, look what comes, you know, these are not animal embryos. These are not anything else. These are human precious lives that need a home. And so that's another reason why I wrote the book. Um, and they can find it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. It's, I think, a great help and encouragement to those who may be fighting infertility or anything. So. Yes, I, I think when I first heard about embryo adoption, it was, um, I wasn't entirely sure by, like what this is about and uh, and how can it be pro-life? Because, and I just had a lot of these questions, but I think mm -hmm. um, hearing your story, especially knowing that you've gone through it and now you have this lovely eight-year-old boy running around at your home and in the fields, just uh, knowing that that's what comes of uh, adopting or choosing to adopt mm -hmm. embryos that are either abandoned or not needed anymore, um, instead of destroying them, that they can find a home um, then, and that can be such a pro-life choice has been a, something that I'm learning. And I'm really grateful for, uh, for you coming on today and uh, talking to us about your story, talking to us about the process. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course, yes. We've been speaking with Angela Hogel, the mother of an eight-year-old boy through embryo adoption. She shares her story in the book, Cracking through my eggshells. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State with more than 40 local county-based chapters. We shine a spotlight on the most vulnerable individuals from the very dawn of life to the twilight of life. Thank you for joining us for the program today. It wouldn't be the same without you. We are grateful for your continuing support and encouragement. And for Remmel Tenney, this is Maria Gallagher saying so long for now. And remember, there is always a reason to choose life.